Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show, brought to you by Capita Financial Network. Today, I'll be co-hosting with my dear friend, Jess Larson. Hope you enjoy the show. I'm so thrilled to have you. I, you know what I found? It's the best to have somebody kind of get there a little snapshot because I think you'll do the best of wanting to share what you want to share about yourself. So do you mind maybe jumping in and just sharing with us, you know, a little bit about your snapshot of your career, a little bit about you so our audience really understands all that you've accomplished. It's so exciting. You bet. Well, first of all, it's great to be on the show. Uh, just knowing a little bit about um, the way it's exploded in the growth, uh, humbling to be a part of it. So uh, thank you for having me. Uh, grateful to be on with you. Um, yeah, I'm Jason Clement. I'm the CEO and founding partner, co-founder of Sports Facilities Companies. Uh, our firm plans, develops, and manages youth and amateur sports complexes across the country. You know, our mission is to improve the health and economic vitality of the country. We get to do that one community at a time. Um, based on the work that we're fortunate uh, to be able to do. I'm from the Midwest originally. I'm from Iowa, um, you know, part of a, a family of four kids. Uh, we loved sports growing up. I'm the oldest of four, and we got better as we got younger. So that tells you where I was in the pecking <laughs> order. Uh, my, my younger brother, he, uh, he's the coach of the defending national champion Ole Miss Rebels uh, baseball team. My youngest brother was drafted third overall in the major league draft. Uh, in 2005. And my sister, probably the best athlete out of all of us, you know, played collegiate softball as well. I was just an average high school player. But along the way, um, I got just as much out of my sports experience as, you know, my my siblings got. Um, all of the things that you hear about, right? Character development, how to win, how to lose, how to be competitive. And um, really, that's my background and kind of how we got into sports facilities companies. Um, we like to design, develop, and manage complexes that do just that, facilitate positive outcomes for kids and families. When you focus on that, it tends to be a pretty good business model. And we've been able to grow our organization over the last 20 years to uh, almost 2,000 team members uh, across the country now. Uh, we've worked in over 2,000 communities um, as well. So I guess one for every team member <laughs> that we've got. And uh, we have about 25 to 30 million visits annually. Wow into the venues that we're a part of. That's so impressive, Jason. Like I, you know, the fact that it comes from, you know, your childhood and the passions of your family, it sounds like it's just like DNA level, um, your work and your career. Um, do, are you, are, do you have children yourself now? Are you working, are your kids also kind of carrying on this passion for action sport? Yeah, my, my kids are 11, 10 and eight. Um, so we got started a little bit later in life. My oldest is actually adopted from Ethiopia. And then we have a biological daughter who's 10 and, and a biological son who's eight uh, and uh, very interested in adopting again. And that's uh, we can talk about that. That's a, a passion thing for uh, my wife, Jana, and, and I. 
Um, but yes, um, they're all very much into sports. Um, they love it. They're playing every sport that they can get their hands That's on. Neat. You know, at this age, life, very busy, right? Um, we try to say yes as much as possible to sports. You know, Lindsay, I know you're you're on Oahu. Um, we were there last month for for spring break. And, uh, you know, being a guy from Iowa, not a lot of surfing happening in <laughs> Iowa. My kids tried it and they are hooked. So now they're like, can we go over? We live in Florida, the Tampa area. They want to go over to Cocoa Beach. Yeah. They want to get their own surfboard. Like they're, they're into it. So we will play everything and anything that we can get our hands That's on. That's so amazing. And I do want to talk about your adoption. That's so exciting. I've spent, um, you know, over a decade in my work uh addressing issues around vulnerable children, those in foster care and or in orphanages around the world institutionalized that need permanent loving families. So I, I just think the adoption stories are some of the most beautiful, miraculous stories out there. And, um, you know, I know they're, they're not all, they're not for the faint of heart. Like it, it, it's heart wrenching and difficult and has all the ups and downs, but also I don't know that I've ever met anyone who says in the end, net, net, it was just like the greatest gift in their life, right? So I can see why you're addicted and want to do it again. But um, Jason, that's so awesome. So tell me a little bit, like right now in this phase in, in the growth of your company and what you're trying to accomplish, what is it that, you know, you guys are trying to achieve? I mean, sometimes it's fun to establish to our listeners right away in case we have so many really high capacity and high uh, character guests, but we also have that on as listeners. There's so many people that listen to the show that can make stuff happen. And sometimes we get reach people reaching out. Can I help? Can I connect? And so what is it that keeps you up at night right now? Or what is it that you're trying to accomplish? You know, I'm um, hopefully you're not being kept up at night, but you know, like what is it that you hope to see happen at this phase in your, in your growth and your business? Yeah. Well, look, um, a lot of ways I can go with that that question. It's a great question. Um, ultimately, we just we want to serve more and we want to serve better mm. um, as as an organization. Um, so, you know, what we do again is develop and manage venues to facilitate healthy outcomes for families. Um, so, what can we continue to innovate? I joke that we're a twenty year old company just getting started. <laughs> uh, we are constantly innovating. Um, our entire team is empowered to be intrapreneurial and find different ways to grow and innovate, um, you know, for the communities and the venues that we're in. The youth sports and amateur sports marketplace is so fragmented and it's just exploding, continue to explode. You've probably seen the stats, depending on what periodical or study you're looking at, it's anywhere from a 35 to $50 billion industry. Mm. Um, and just continuing to go from there. And um, with that type of growth, uh, and it being that fragmented, uh, there are, um, you know, certainly positives and there are also some challenges, um, that, that happen. Um, and when you talk about, um, supporting kids and creating and fostering an environment for them to grow in a healthy way, um, the youth sports space has both of yes, those, um, absolutely. you know, the good and the bad. So we are trying to bring solutions, you know, to the good. There's so much good that's happening here. Um, because of the growth and because of the money that's flooding into the space, um, there are certain socioeconomic classes that are being left out. Yeah. So we're trying to bring solutions to the table as well that provide access to all of the kids, all of the families, all of the adults um, that otherwise wouldn't have access to, you know, get get the healthy um, environment. So for me, that's probably, I don't know if it's keeping me up. At, well, it is. You ask my wife. <laughs> up a lot about things, but... Um, that, that is one of them. How, how can we continue to be a positive force to impact as many people 
in a positive way as, as we possibly can um, with the gifts, the experiences, and the resources that we've been provided and, uh, and, and given. Oh, wow. That's amazing, Jason. And um, Jeff, you have spent your whole life in action sports, surfing, skating, snowboarding, now your kids as well. I'm sure you're just excited to talk with Jason about, you know, this industry and, and your thoughts about, you know, how much being an athlete has shaped you. Yeah, totally. You know, um, I don't think uh, I don't think everybody knows that basically the most famous surfer in the world, Kelly Slater, grew up surfing in Florida. You know, uh, it, it can produce some pretty great places. Um, and, and even though action sports and and, you know, judo and some of the martial arts I did competitively dominate a lot of my life. I will say the basketball teams and soccer teams when I was younger and then, uh, you know, playing baseball as a kid uh, were big lessons. You know, my my first year playing baseball in the fifth grade, I was like the best hitter, won the award, you know. And then on the uh, the, the second year I played baseball, grade nine, I was tied for the worst player on the team. And uh, we uh, but it was interesting being on a team that went undefeated for the whole season through all the playoffs through the championship. And um and it, it was definitely a different experience. Uh, you know, I've quoted a whole bunch of times on this show, like my, my baseball coach, I think basically let me stay on the team in the ninth grade out of pity. Like, uh, you know, like we, like we've got enough slots. We don't even have to let him play. Like he can stay on. Right. And, but he, he did take me aside, like uh, after tryouts, me and this other kid and said like, Hey guys, like, I'm not sure this is really the right team for you. If you're willing to like come give 110%, you can you can be on the team. And uh, his name's Darcy Ralph, and he would say things to us like, "We would, you basically could not get in worse trouble than not sprinting to first, even if you were out. Like if you were out and the and the ump had said you're out, doesn't matter. Like you sprint to first, no matter what, every time, no matter what. And it is crazy how like me as tied for the worst player on the team, uh, got on base multiple times by sprinting out of like, basically like fear from my coach, okay? <laughs> sprinting no matter what. And, and I see that so much in business of people um, giving up, like giving up because they're concerned they might've lost before actually being out. And like so many unforced errors and things ended up with me being safe when I should have been out and happened on our team over and over. Um, and, uh, and that type of like, um, like take responsibility. Like I can't, I cannot, nothing I do makes it, makes a difference of whether that first baseman's going to catch the ball or not. Right. But what I can control is that I sprint my guts out all the way to first. And sometimes that's going to work out for me and sometimes it's not. Right. So I want to talk about how you're like, that's just one of my baseball lessons. I know you've got lessons from all sorts of sports, and I'd love to hear one, specifically thinking about scale and size. Do I understand you guys worked on like $15 billion worth of developments? Am I, is that math completely wrong, or do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, no, that's right. We have, and, and interestingly, right, right now, we're in the planning, feasibility, modeling, performa stage um, for over a billion and a half dollars just right now that our team's working on. Actually, in construction and in development right now, almost a billion dollars, just shy of a billion dollars of new projects coming out of the ground as we speak. And then we're managing 45 properties across the country where, as I mentioned, 25 to 30 million visits, um, over $100 million in revenue flowing through there, and a lot of lives you know, being impacted uh, as well. So 
Um, you know, we find that when you take those lessons that you learn from sport, right, attitude, effort, how to win, how to lose, you know, character development, and you apply them in business. And I would guess you have a lot of podcast listeners who've had similar experiences who can point to how they learned to fail and come back from it. And, you know, adversity, and perseverance um, has been a big part of at least the foundation um, to, to what they've been a part of and been fortunate to be a part of how to be a good teammate. Right. Um, that's like there's so many great lessons in sport, how to be a great teammate. And then also whether it's, you know, jujitsu or surfing or even baseball. Right. There's a one on wrestling. There's a one on one component, too, where there's accountability. I'm either showing up or I'm not. And all of that translates into baseball or into business, excuse me. And and that's the beauty of it. I mean, the one interview question that I ask every interview um, and I think every one of our 2000 team members would have an answer for this if you were to ask them is what has sport meant to you? And we don't look for, you know, I'm a Patriots fan or I'm a Bucks fan or that. We look for what has sport meant to you and how has that been foundational to the person that you are um, today? And you have a story, clearly heard part of it there. Lindsay, I know you've got a story because we've talked a little bit as well. Like we all do. And when the mission is that personal and you can apply those principles to business and you have a heart for service and accountability and those sorts of things, um, be strategic. You need to work hard. Um, but when you do all of those things well, at least in our experience, um, we've, done, been, we've done just fine from a, from a business perspective um, as a result of it. So... Um... Can we can we uh, needle you for for a specific story? Can you tell us one of the, one of the like whether it's a defining moment or just a, a sports story that made a difference that still applies in your life and business today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I'll I'll go to um, kind of how we my experience of how we launched our company here um, and and how that worked. So um, you know I knew coming out of high school that I wasn't going to be you know my youngest brother and go to the big leagues, right? Sort of thing. Um, so I wanted to get into sports architecture, um, and that was how I was going to, you know, stay close to it. So I studied sports architecture at Iowa State University, the Harvard of the Skunk River Valley is Iowa State University. And uh, I, I came out of school and I got to go work uh, in Kansas City, which is the, the mecca for, for sports architecture in the country, at least at the time. And I was working on some cool stuff, universities, stadiums, arenas, you know, Naval Academy, football state. I mean, some really cool projects at a young age. Um, working with athletic directors and head coaches, those, those sorts of things. And um, I was given a little league complex in North Kansas City to manage. Um, I mean, I was a snot-nosed kid, 24 or whatever, you know, right out of school. And I was not fired up about it at all. And um, we went to um, the county commission meeting. I presented the site plan, and that developer had hired another gentleman who had just opened up his own facility in Detroit, Michigan. And um, he was an ex-professional soccer player. Uh, and, and he stood up and he talked about in Detroit how dads were coming you know, to kids um, who otherwise wouldn't spend any time with him, but sport was bringing them together. And about the lessons these kids were learning on the ball field that they otherwise weren't getting in their community, their school, or, or at home. And in that moment, man, it was like a, like a bolt of lightning that was like, this is where I'm meant to be. Because I was the average player. Right. Um, in, in high school, I remember the big stud in high school. I was a junior was playing shortstop. We had a pretty good team. We were going to state tournament and um, the, the, the stud, the all state first baseman um, kind of threw a little, you know, pity party because, frankly, we were making errors. We were chucking it around a little bit. And I remember after the game, I walked up to him. And I was like, hey, man, you're the leader on this team. Like, 
we all need to engender some confidence here and you can either tear us down or you can build us up. And man, I'm like the little 5'10 shortstop and he's the 6'6", right? First baseman. And he's like, you know what? You're right. You're right. And that was one of the turning moments, at least for me in my career, where I was like, hold on, there's a leadership opportunity here. Um, you know, it matters. And now you fast forward to, you know, this county commission meeting. And I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. I get to help create buildings and environments and a culture that is going to make that same sort of impact because there are a lot more average Jason Clements than there are Jeff Clements, right, uh, in, the, in the sports world. And for me, at least, that was really the seed that was planted um, that, you know, has grown from there. I love those things that sound like such simple stories, but like just you saying that to me makes me want to be like, well, what, what can I do for my community? <laughs> I could just, I, I thank you for sharing that. Lindsay, what kind of questions does that bring up for you? Yeah, Jason, I love how you're discussing the, that, you know, you weren't really on fire until you saw those, the why, you know, I mean, I mean, I can imagine after like playing sports and being at that age and kind of having to kill your dream of being a pro athlete or whatever that we all have to come to at some point. I mean, I played soccer. I played collegiate level soccer and similar to Jeff, like I went from a small town um, where I was the freshman starting the, you know, and I was VIP of the fresh as a freshman to varsity. And I was like, man, I'm good at this sport. And then I moved to like a, a huge uh, school, like a 4A went from like a 2A to a 4A. And I was like benching as a junior, you know, senior. And it was the most humbling, incredible thing for me because I was a big fish in a small pond. And then I just had to like really, really work hard. And in college, like, I know that like, that was the one thing I did do. I was like the Rudy on the team, right? Like I worked harder. I would lap the whole team sometimes twice. I mean, I was like, that was my thing. I would just die before I, you know, get off that treadmill or whatever. Right. Like, I mean, so the, the work ethic that it taught me and over time it paid off, right? The long-term edge that I had, even though I didn't have, because I started playing sports. My dad, we traveled internationally and a lot of girls in soccer start at age five. You know, people start three, four, five. I didn't start till I was 15. So I had a 10-year disadvantage in touch on the ball. And so my sense of the field, my sense of, and skill set just wasn't there. But the work ethic over time, because I was so committed by the end of my collegiate level year, I, you know, I got to really um, see some serious, you know, success and, and saw myself, you know, starting and getting and, and having the experience I wanted in sports where I really got to be a massive contributor. And it was like really um, interesting how, how it, no, people noticed it. People noticed it that like, I'm a starter and this bench warmer is just, is just, putting me to shame in terms of like any minute on the field or off the field in terms of the energy, you know? And, uh, and I remember that, that, that affected the, the psyche of the whole team. So you can be a leader even when you're not actually up front, you know? And that's so true about business and life. Like you, you can absolutely be like, Hey, I'm not the one that has controls the budget. I'm not the one that has the microphone, but can I lead in my respective element? Um, and I think that that's just true in a personally in life. Like we can't always control everyone around me or, or our environment. We can't control all, uh, you know, external external outputs, but we can always control our inter internal world and we can always, you know, um, kind of emulate like the kind of the change we want to see in our environment. And I, so I love what you're talking about. So as you, as you've been going along, what is it that is your, uh, you know, what is, what is it that's your biggest like 
advantage and success in building your business? Like what, what was it? Was it, is it your, I mean, you're probably not going to say this because you're a humble guy, but like, was it your leadership style, the way you thought about the market? Is it, you know, the caliber of people, I'm sure combination of things, but if you had to say like your secret sauce and growing your business to this, um, New York success, like what, what is it that, you know, what was it that you think you had an advantage in? Well, um, if it's about me personally, um, Lindsay, you just nailed it. It, for me, it's preparation and I'm not going to get outworked, you know, by, by anybody and lessons that you learned, right. Um, from your soccer career. And so I'd say for me, that's it. But for us organizationally, it's our people. Um, we talk about winning with people all the time and we have the best, the best in the business. And uh, we try to create a, a culture where performance matters. Um, we have a, we have a guiding principle that the scoreboard matters. And that means you got to perform, right? And um, there's always a scoreboard. And if there isn't a scoreboard, that's on me or us as leaders because we haven't defined what winning and losing looks like within the organization for each particular role. And um, so we, we think that accountability matters. We think accountability is a beautiful word. Um, people want accountability. And when you lay out the ground rules and how you win and lose, clearly the achievers rise to the top. And um, the, those they can't achieve, you know, they recognize it and kind of self-select in, in the business, you know, world, at least within our organization. But those that are up for it, man, they go and get it. And um, then we we just have a lot of fun, you know, building the culture and, and doing what we do from a, from a, a business perspective there. So um, those are, a, a, it, it's always about the people, um, you know, for us, we're in a service business and a service industry. So how do we set the infrastructure and the, the processes, um, the goals and whatnot to provide guardrails and guidelines for people and then let them, you know, we call it playing jazz. Then you get to play jazz in within the, those, those guardrails. And it's amazing what good people do. Um, and how when they take accountability and in lead, leadership and they, they're empowered to be great, um, our, our team just tends to be great. Build good relationships with one another, be good teammates, and go crush it. And um, really, that's what our team does. And it doesn't hurt also that we're in this industry that's just exploding. Lindsay, what you just mentioned about your sports experience, um, that is what I believe why so many parents want their kids into the sports ecosystem. It's not for the scholarship, although that's what a lot of people think. And look, that is um, a motivating factor for some families. But I think more parents are like me, at least, to say, hey, look, I want my kids to reach whatever their potential is, so don't get me wrong, but I want them to get the life lessons, um, the lessons that you learned that have made you successful, both in, both in your philanthropic service career, as well as your capitalistic right, career um, as, as well. And those are the lessons from a sports experience how you work with people, how you interact, um, how you gain trust, how you communicate. I guarantee you, uh, you know, what, who are the NBA teams, you know, that are, that are winning right now? I mean, pick any of them. Back in the day when it was the Spurs, I guarantee you Coach Popovich wasn't in the locker room saying, hey, would you please walk on eggshells and do this? No, he was communicating directly. Here's what you need to do. Go win the game. Um, and those are the experiences I think most parents want their kids to get and make it fun, make it enjoyable. And that's why it's exploding so much across the country um, right now. And frankly, the demand of good, healthy sports experiences is outpacing the supply um, right now. And that, that is why there's such an opportunity, a business opportunity in our space. And if you're serving well and you've got the right heart, um, 
I, I don't mean to say we've had success just because we happen to be lucky in the right industry. You know, there's a proverb, right? Good planning and hard work equals success. That's what we try to do. Put the good plan in place, work hard to execute on it. And, you know, this I love that you touched on good planning because that is so true. Because even though, you know, I talked about my work ethic and, and I, I think I definitely carry that today. I have no problem giving myself that credit. I, I, I'm a workhorse, but like the, you know, the, the, I haven't always had the best planning, Jason. I mean, it hasn't always worked out. <laughs> so, you know, as I've learned about, as I've learned more about, you know, just understanding better concepts. And of course, as you go along, if you're hardworking, then one of the hard, hard work, one of the things that's the hardest work to do is to admit when we're wrong and to pivot, to say that was a bad idea. And I've got, I'm off base or I've got to drop my ego here. Or I've got this blind spot or I got to replace, like that's some of the hardest internal work you could ever do. And, you know, I yeah. think that that's what sports taught me is to push through pain, right? And some of the biggest pain is the psychological pain that we deal with as leaders and professionals and entrepreneurs and human beings. And so, you know, it's fascinating to me that you, that you're seeing that there's a greater, I mean, it makes sense to me. I live here, as we mentioned in Hawaii and the sports uh, community, like football is like key here. Like uh, my son goes to Kahuku High School. I had the opportunity just recently interview Manti Teo is from here on stage at a conference in Utah, yeah. incredible athletes. I mean, my bless my little 13 year old's heart because these are like grown grown men that are like going to school with him and he's from school, dude. You know, he's an average side third junior old, but next to these Polynesian like Greek gods, you know, they're like, it's like I have no chance. So, so the sports, unless you're like going pro, you know, it's kind of not there. And then they don't have a lot of extracurricular stuff here. It's just not that organized and not that big of a party in the community, but the individual sports like yeah. surfing and skating are massive and um, everybody does that. And, and, and it's such a different skill set. But I'm still seeing, because I'm still seeing, I played, uh, I did some individual sports for sure, but I much more did team sports. And so I'm seeing my kids and I'm like, wow, they're still learning. They're still learning and building a skill set. They're still learning that, you know, when you, when you get thrown off your board and get scraped up on the, you know, the bottom of the ocean with a bunch of coral, like you get to decide to get back up there and face your fears. You know, you get to learn there's a pecking order and a meritocracy in culture and you know hey that's not your wave you're not a local boy and like all these things you know they these are these these are highly important intuitive lessons like you said so giving that um providing that for the youth is just invaluable just what does that make you think about when you think about all the gifts that that a business like this might be offering there's so many and, and I, I would love to talk about the idea of um families connecting more instead of isolation of screen time um, maybe before we get to it, though, I, I want to talk about the scale. You know, the idea of doing $100 million a year in revenue. Um, there's so many founders, CEOs who might be listening today who, who aspire to get to that kind of level. And we can only guess what it's like. Um, if you were going to make a comparison, what's it feel like, the difference between doing $10 million a year in revenue and $100 million a year in revenue? Zero. <laughs> it's uh, it really, uh, you know, as... Once you grow and you set the systems in place, um, someone told me a long time ago that actually the hardest part is getting to one million. Um, and I, pers that's my experience. The the first getting to one million is the toughest, right? As as you're building and you're growing in that way. And for us, um, 
really getting to scale is about collaboration uh, and, and just in our business. Um, so I, I read this recently um, in a book about collaboration it, where they said, look, coming out of World War II, we were a production economy. Then we became a consumer economy. And now we're in this kind of creator economy, right, where it's about content, the creators, you know, either social media or product or service that we're creating. Um, but the next and, and the futures here in new sports is the collaboration economy. And that's where you partner, you trade, you rent, right? Um, services and products in a way um, that allows you to grow. And um, I mean, look, I have an executive coach and he said it, um, you know, maybe five years to me. He said, hey, once you get this spark in your business over here and a spark over there and one here, pretty soon you're going to have combustion, right? And everything's going to go. And that's kind of what we're finding um, here. As long as we, again, create that spirit of innovation, um, drive a standard of excellence um, in that way, um, we found that combustion happens and everything starts to grow at even a, a higher scale and, and a quicker pace um, than, than what we um, saw before. And so for us, um, that's where we're at. And, and that's really the difference. Uh, and once you get into that spirit of collaboration, we, we say collaboration is our strategy. Um, local government has been a big collaborator for us because of this um, boom in youth sports and the sports tourism of bringing visitors to all these communities where they're spending money, they're staying in hotel rooms, sales taxes going up. It spurs additional economic growth and commercial development, which just increases more property taxes, right, for those um, communities that are having success. And what I've found is in politics in general, and certainly at the local level, it's a copycat league. So they see that, you know, this is working over in this community. So we want to have that too. And now we're seeing kind of an arms race as it relates to sports facilities. Now, look, we're the benefactor of that because we know how to collaborate and help people plan, design, develop, um, and then operate successfully these complexes, which is what we do. And that's our role in it. Um, but it's, it's collaboration with these tournament providers, with the you know local government, municipal, it's the financing sources. Um, and the business just isn't, you know, roll out the soccer ball and uh, go see them play. Um, there's a lot of planning and preparation that goes into that so that by the time we get to opening day and we're rolling out the soccer ball, which is what we all want to see. We want to see kids playing, getting the benefits of everything that we spend a lot of time talking about here. There are a lot of important business components that, to, to make it work. Um, the graveyard of failed sports facilities is littered with complexes and leaders that didn't actually plan properly. Um, and it all comes back to that, that preparation and putting the time in and asking the hard questions so that when you do get to that point, you know, down the line, you're strong financially, you've got a great community message. Kids are getting to participate that otherwise didn't, there's more community access um, to it. The economic development is happening, you know, as a result of that, um, within the community, home prices are going up, property values are going up. There are just a lot of things that happen in the community when, you know, the overall tapestry of a successful community, when the one thread of sport and recreation is, is happening right. And um, we're blessed and fortunate to be able to partner and collaborate with a number of municipal leaders who are visionary um, in order to make those things happen. Um, maybe my follow-up question then has to do with the systems that you're talking about. You know, there's, there's so many companies that, um, okay, they, they beat the odds, they make it to the first million. Right. And then then they five times that or 10 times, you know, they get five, 10, 15 million. But 
but then the systems that they built kind of start breaking down. And you, you, there's so often this plateau. And for some, certainly it's you know the, the addressable market. They did, didn't pick it a big enough market, right? But for many others, um, it seems like they don't have a system for, for continually bringing in the next level of business and the next scale of business. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, for founders, CEOs, even fund managers advising portfolio companies, as they are trying to think about planning for the kind of business um, that will continue to acquire customers, like not just 10%, not just replace who we lost, but I mean like double ourselves and 10 times ourselves. Um, what's a principle for that kind of planning when maybe your natural systems are almost headed towards plateau? My, mine is more of a characteristic. It's, you know, be humble and have humility <laughs> as well. Um, because again, the graveyard of startup and even successful businesses are littered with founder led organizations that thought because of the way they did it when they launched the business and got to that first million is still the way that it works. And um, I have to constantly be reminded of that. And so it's such a cliche to say, surround yourself with people smarter than you, but it is absolutely the truth um, in terms of surround yourself with people who have had a set of experiences that are relevant, that allow, um, allow them to go build and grow what they know and do well, and then have the humility um, to empower them to tell you when you're wrong, which happens every day, um, but, you know, with me. Um, you know, our team, our CFO was, uh, he was the CFO of walmart.com. Our COO um, went from store two to store 57 of Galleon Sports Stores, which was later became Dick's, you know, sporting, sporting goods. Um, you know, our executive vice president was the CEO of the Chicago Park District, which is the largest park and rec district in the country. You know, 7,500 team members. I think he had a $5 million, $500 million budget, um, you know, there which, you know, we're smaller than where he came from. So, you know, surround yourself with people who have been where you're trying to go and then, you know, listen, listen to them. So that's the first part of it. Now to answer your question about the scalability of systems and processes, um, I think at least in our business, what we're finding is we have to constantly be evolving, you know, in that way. Um, HR, you know, you have 2000 people. I joke with our team, the great philosopher, Biggie Smalls once said, Mo people, mo problems. Um, I'm not sure that's exactly how it went. That's, you know, again, our, our HR team is constantly saying, hey, what got us to here isn't going to get us there. And so as, you know, again, the founder or the leader, um, if, if I were talking to anybody, I would say, cast the vision, challenge the team that this is where we're headed. Now we need to be build the systems and processes that work when we get to there. Um, and then build um, an infrastructure around the planning, Lindsay, to our point earlier, the planning and the execution of that plan so that you can be as efficient, as effective as possible to get there. Um, we don't need to meet to death on it, um, but we do want to have regular check-ins and you know, track against that plan as, as we get there. So I hope I answered that question, uh, but those are the things that come to mind, you know, at least along our journey. And by the way, we're still figuring it out. Um, all those things we're still figuring. I'm sure our team would listen to me and be like, hey, yeah, you can get a little better at all those things, Jason. And that's the truth. I can. Well, I know you called it cliche advice, but um, I don't think it is because I don't think most of us are doing it. Like as you're sitting there talking, I'm saying, yeah, what's my plan to upgrade my advisors? 
Like at, at what levels am I telling myself that I can afford somebody who's got, who's come from a much bigger version of what we're doing, that, that we're going to be able to afford the kind of compensation to bring them in? And, and what would I be willing to give up in order to get that, get that person who is legitimately more experienced than us onto the team? Um, yeah, the, the investments to your point on that, um, it's so easy to get in the rut of, you know, EBITDA and performance and, oh, we're going to spend more on this person or that initiative or that marketing campaign. Um, but I know when I shifted to think about those things as less of an expense and more of, of an investment, planting seeds for what the goal and vision is for two, three, five, ten years from now, um, that completely changed my, my mindset. And also how we follow through and are accountable to those spends. And that's exactly right. Who am I investing in? What team members are not around the table? Um, and what do I need to spend to get them here? so that we can plant those seeds for the harvest that's going to be coming three, five, 10 years from now. I mean, well said. Oh, I love that, Jason. I think, you know, as, as I'm listening here, like you have 2000 employees, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people to, to be responsible for. Do you, um, you know, what is it you've learned as you guys, as you guys are building this company, like in terms of building culture? Because, I mean, it sounds like you've got a really good eye for talent. You, you know, you, you mentioned some of this leadership that you've got involved in their rap sheet. It's very clear you're able to attract and retain talent. But what is it about, what can you share as a leader when you're building culture? I mean, I, I know that culture is king, right? Like we say this and it, it really, it's really true. Like in my experience, I currently work for Capital Financial Network and it's a financial a registered um, investment agency. And it's probably the best culture I've ever been a part of in terms of a company, like the, just the generosity of spirit, the way that the leadership just champions people, but it's not, it's not, um, platitudes are like, wait, good job. It's not, you can feel the depth of sincerity of their gratitude for each other. And there's so much deferential energy and kind of acknowledging each other, that it just makes you want to look outside yourself and see what is everybody else doing, because I'm getting so much praise and it's appreciation and a recognition and but yet tons of accountability right like tons of like hey and hard conversations had with so much care so much tenderness um but also directness and fortitude when that just makes you feel safe these kinds of things at capita have just been um like life-changing for me and brought me so much joy and and the way the long-term accounting on relationships they have with our clients with the community what are some of the things about you would say uh, about your business, your culture, your people that you feel like are standout, knockout kind of highlight? Yeah. Um, well, one thing with our culture is the way that we um, we communicate and work. It's not hierarchical. Um, we we think that the next generation company, which we try to be innovative in, in the culture we try to create is, you know, it's less about, you know, the army that you build. It's not World War II where you, you know have these generals who, you know, have these platoon leaders that, you know, communicate down. We're more of a matrix um, organization, which we partner and we collaborate and we just have accountability to one another. And that's a really important piece of our, our, our culture in that way. And um, that's at least for us, how we've seen um, the organization grow mm. so that you have um, high discipline cross, um, cross-discipline and department accountability um, in, in the way that we, we work. So as an example, um, practically, you know, our general manager over a venue underneath has, you know, marketing, HR, finance, programming, you know, sales, all of those things. 
Well, we have a home <laughs> office that supports all of those things as well. And our department heads are, I mean, one of my business partners, and she's our senior vice president of marketing, reports to our general manager for that particular venue um, as well. And so we just make sure that we have a culture of accountability to one another in that way. And um, in doing so, uh, you know, that type of culture isn't for everybody. And so you have to be really um, judicious about who fits in it and who doesn't. And you have to have a quick eye for that and, you know, make the changes when, when it's not working out because one misfit doesn't mean they're a bad person, but one misfit culturally can have ripple effects negatively, um, you know, throughout the organization. I would say that, you know, early on, I probably held on to more people than I should have within our organization out of a sense of loyalty and trying to do the right thing and develop people. Um, that ultimately probably set us back and stunted our growth a little bit um, just because they, it was a, a, a misalignment culturally for us as we continue to grow. From being so adept in, 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 the, you know, in the weeds of the day-to-day of the, of the sports vertical, youth sports and community sports offerings, what is it you're seeing that are kind of innovations or that are on the horizon in terms of technology or new ways to think about it or and what are the needs like what are you like man if somebody could solve this problem like for example one thing that annoys the heck out of me as a parent is the registration process it's got to be a uniform and never yeah. do it once don't ever do it until it's again nightmare right but is there anything else that like you feel like are pain points that you can see people are working to solve or any insights about the future you bet um so what we're looking at right now in terms of categories are inventory which means facility spaces and uh, especially with the construction climate right now and the financing challenges, um, it's harder and harder to finance and get you know these projects built under budget um, in a way that they can perform financially. So we are innovating ways to bring more facilities and projects to the marketplace um, uh, that are financed properly so that they can be set up for success um, long term. So that's the inventory side. Then we have the content side. Um, and that is the types of programming and activities that are happening inside of these venues. And that is just constantly evolving. One example is pickleball. It is exploding across the country, um, this sport of pickleball. And um, we are actively looking right now at um, a number of initiatives that can reach, you know, the senior population down to kids, you know, my kid's age and your kid's age. They can participate and play in really fun ways. So how do we get, you know, more kids off the couch and into the venues so that they can play and participate? And they don't have to be, you know, the traditional um, team sports we were talking about earlier, but they can be, you know, the extreme sports that you can learn so much from. And they can also be unstructured play where kids just get to be creative and they get to get together and have have fun there. So I think more of that is coming um, in that way. And then thirdly, the digital platform and the technology um, to take this unsophisticated, fragmented industry and bring it together and provide a better service. So, Lindsay, you mentioned the registration process. Um, we're actively working right now on a registration um, experience, I'll call it, where you get to sign up. In the in the meantime, I'm just going to pick, um, you know, a volleyball event or a soccer event or something like that. You sign up for that tournament or that event. Um, you know when the schedule comes out. Um, with it, you get kind of a concierge service to say, hey, do you want to do you want some retail, you know, the branded gear? Do you want to go ahead and pre-purchase your meal plan? Um, here, by the way, are some preferred lodging partners that will save you money when you come to the market. When you come to Oahu for this awesome tournament and event, 
here's some activities that you can try out with some you know partners that we have here and you can start to it's almost like have an agent one-stop shop to set up your experience in a way to take the stress out of the system for you know the parents and the coaches or the club of directors and whatnot and by the way it's great for the venue and the host city because you get to plan all of these things you get to plan your resources properly and then you get to over deliver, you know, on the on the experience um, when when people come in. Um, so that digital and technology platform that just really brings all of that together um, all the way through, you know, the financing and the reporting and the accounting on the back end and then a follow up guest experience survey that's coming, um, you know, as well. And then in sports specifically, I mean, it, you know, everybody knows what's happening with professional sports down into college with the NIL investments that are happening. Well, so much of, you know, who gets paid and who doesn't at the NIL level is, you know, who has the social media following, right? Who has the eyeballs on their stuff? And so that's coming down to the youth market, whether we like it or not. Um, so how do we create that experience in that platform for kids to be able to do those things in a healthy and productive way versus something else? Because you can see where that's coming. All of a sudden, kids are out for old number one. You know, they want to just build up their social media platform. Um so whether you like it or not, like most things in our society, something like a sports experience, which should be so innocent and positive, um, they're, they're, it's melding with the cultural issues of the day. And those are some of the solutions and innovations that are coming here um, so that we can address those in a positive way uh, and so that it's good for, for all involved. And again, from the local government and the destination perspective, who ultimately is our partner in a lot of the venues that we manage, when you bring those solutions to the table, it makes it a differentiator for that community, that government, for that facility that nobody else is talking about or thinking about. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. And that's good for business for us. That's amazing, Jason. And I, you know, I just love to know, like, of all of the parts of your job, you know, um, what is it that blows your hair back the most? Like, what is the most exciting what is it that gets that, you know, that same energy that you got when you went up, up to bat as a kid, you know, or maybe you still play baseball, by the way, you still have playing, coaching, and pro you're probably involved with your kids now. <laughs> but that amazing exhilaration of like, you know, um, where you feel kind of the excitement and the pressure and all the things, what parts about your job kind of bring you the most joy? The favorite part of my job is really just partnering and teaming with, with people. Mm. Um, so whether it's, the facility owners that we work with um, who have clear objectives and goals for investing in, you know, 30 to $100 million um, developments and sports complexes. Um, I, I love learning what those objectives are, what those goals are, and then helping create the plan um, to go execute on operationally to achieve, you know, those objectives. And um, really, at the end of the day, that's what we do as an organization. Um, I love partnering with our team, um, you know, whether it's my weekly or my monthly one-on-ones with our team member. I mean, really, my job now is to say, hey, what are your top three priorities you're trying to accomplish um, with the organization? Um, maybe um, help with their thinking, you know, along those lines, but ultimately ask them, hey, what resources can I bring to bear to help you be successful, you know, in your role and your job? Because when they're successful, the organization's successful and I'm successful. Um, so really, Lindsay, it all comes down to um, how can I partner? How can I team to allow these people, our, whether it's an external or an internal um, relationship, um, allow them to you know have the the most and highest level of success that they that they possibly can. Um, that's when we win, and I just get a lot of juice out of that because um, we achieve. Then we achieve together as a team. 
Um, and then ultimately, you know, obviously it's, it's good, good for business from, from that perspective. Amazing, Jason. And we heard it here from the man who creates uh, the ultimate team sport opportunities be a good team player. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're so appreciative. Thanks for what you do in our communities and all that you're doing as a leader, such immense character and um, just such a treat to get to know you. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, likewise. Hey, and thanks for all you're doing, you know, to create a platform that enables um, entrepreneurs uh, like me to learn from one another and get challenged. Uh, clearly, I mean, you guys are the best at what you do. Um, so humbled to be a part of it. I appreciate you inviting me to to be on Thanks so much. Thanks again. Thanks, Jess. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.